Hi everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Take advantage of the advanced video capabilities offered by Bosch to help reduce your shrink risk. Integrate video recordings with point-of-sale data for visual verification of transactions and exception reporting. Use video analytics for immediate notification of important AP-related events and leverage analytics metadata for fast forensic searches for evidence and to improve merchandising and operations. Learn more about extending your video system beyond simple surveillance in Zones 1 through 4 of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast. This is the latest in our uh, weekly update series from the LPRC. And I want to welcome our co-hosts and speakers, Tony D'Onofrio, Tom Meehan, and our producer, Diego Rodriguez. And of course, all of you all listening out there across the globe, um, we want to welcome you and do some quick updates. Um, so with no further ado, let me head over to Tony D'Onofrio. Tony, if you can kind of light us up, let us know what's going on around the world. I appreciate it. Thank you, uh, Reed. It's good to be here in Europe launching El- Loss Prevention Research Council uh, Europe. Tomorrow, we got a, about 10 retailers joining us uh, here at the Hilton Curio, right next to the Parliament Building. It's five minutes from the Parliament Building in central London. And it's good to get off a new part of the world. And I can know, I know from speaking to multiple of the retailers that are joining us here tomorrow, they are excited on this journey of science-led uh, loss prevention. But let me jump in on some other data that to me was very interesting this week. And let me start with actually the, the pain of the pandemic and what the pandemic has done to the world. And these are the last months of the coronavirus pandemic as reported or summarized by Statista. So these are the top five areas in the world with the largest cumulative lockdowns in days. And surprisingly, Australia is number one, or not surprisingly, um, Melbourne, Australia was locked down for 262 days. Greater greater Buenos Aires in Argentina was locked down for 245 days. The entire country of Ireland was locked down for 227 days. And then it's interesting, all the regions in England, and I'm only going to mention a couple because I tend to focus on the top five, they actually have very long lockdowns. Northern Ireland, 223 days, and England, 213 days, which is where we're at. So the lockdowns have been painful uh, in terms of shutdown in economies and everything else. And for fun this week, uh, I found, again, from Statista, some interesting uh, data in terms of who do we trust in the world? So which, um, what are the top five trusted groups of people for 2021? So doctors are number one followed by scientists, teachers, ordinary people, and the armed forces. Those are the five that we trust the most. Now, here's the five that we trust the least. Uh, Number one is interesting was journalists. Number two is bankers, ad execs, government ministers, and politicians in generally are the most distrusted. And for the five that I just mentioned, that was in the rank order with politicians being the highest not trusted. So, and then finally, let me give a whole bunch of data in terms of what's happening with the holiday season and where we're going with the holiday season. Uh, this is from Deloitte uh, and has published in Retail Dive. 
in terms of what, what they expect, uh, Deloitte expects. So as supply chain bottlenecks continue to haunt retailers, three-fourths uh, of consumers are worried about products running out of stock, prompting them to make their purchases earlier this year. According to Deloitte, six in 10 retailer executives are also worried about receiving holiday orders on time. Deloitte predicted that holiday spending will increase 5% from last year to 1,463 per household on average. Higher income households will spend on average 2,624. Lower income households will spend less than last year at $536. According to the report, 40% of shoppers remain anxious about shopping in stores which is down for 51% uh, in 2020, and even more, and even though we're more comfortable shopping in stores, consumers expect to spend $924 online, and it, which is an increase from $892. And actually, I've been spending a lot of on this topic, and I just actually published a new blog, a new article, which I titled, With Santa Claus, all the Grinch show up this holiday season. And this is, again, a summary of more forecasts in terms of what's going to happen this holiday season. Salesforce predicted a 7% growth in digital commerce for November through December, uh, which is a dramatic slowdown for the 50% year-on-year growth in 2020. This is, again, for digital commerce. For the USA, digital growth is, is projected at 10% in 2021, slowing down from 43% last year. Uh, note that headwinds and uh, there are headwinds coming in rising consumer prices, uh, and which are going to be up 20% according to Salesforce, and and those are actually as a result. Um, they in general uh, there's going to be less orders overall. They're projecting a negative two percent global holiday orders worldwide and the negative 4% for the United States. Another one that I follow closely every year is Bain. They actually issue a very nice infographic. Um, and again, they're projecting a 7% increase in uh, holiday sales for this year, which is the highest, second highest in 20 years. The highest was actually last year when we were all locked down, but uh, this year will be the second highest in terms of uh, growth. Uh, interesting though, um, that the growth mix is changing. In 2020, 8.6% of the growth came from, uh, out of the 8.6% growth, 5.3 was from e-commerce and 3.3 was from physical stores. For this year, we're going back in the stores, the 7% growth is made up by 5% coming from physical stores and 2% coming from e-commerce. Uh, Bain is projecting that how this spending will, will reach 800 billion in this year with 75% of that volume being fulfilled in stores. They do some, some tailwinds that are pushing sales forward. They include inflation rates, employment levels, wage growth, saving and credit availability, and pent up demand in some categories. They also see some headwinds which may slow down growth, which are product availability, labor supply, non-retail spending, year-on-year compatible, comparable retail sales, and the COVID waves that might happen. Um, 
although, I, as I said in the article, I'm cheering for all these forecasts, other people are more conservative. The IHL group expect only a 5 to 6% uh, growth. And, they, and I quote directly from them, and it's important to realize that this is historically great in terms of uh, an increase uh, over previous years. But 3% of the growth that the other forecast are projecting will be left on the table due to the mandates, unemployment, increases and in shortages of products, labor shortages as they ripple to the industry. So scarcity remains the operative issues. Computer chips, for example, are not expected to recover, fully recover, according to Forrester, uh, from being in the short supply until 2023. Costco's already started rationing toilet paper, and I was just actually there about a week or so ago, and they were totally out of toilet paper. So we're back into hoarding toilet paper. And then U.S. gasoline prices are dramatically going up, which is a challenge for us. So as I summarize, uh, it's not the end of the world. Retail sales will be strong, uh, but we are going to have some headwinds that they will have to go through. Santa Claus is still going to arrive. But the Grinch is going to plan more surprises for us as we get through the holiday season. So I'm looking forward to a, a good end to this holiday retail year and see what happens next year. So with that, let me turn it over to Tom. Well, thank you, Tony. And um, I hope you read and chat and enjoy Europe. And I'm excited to hear how it goes with the meetings this week. I'll start off actually with just, uh, you know, because you're there. Uh, kind of a, a story in Britain. So Britain uh, has a new cyber command, uh, very similar to the U.S. cyber command, and um, they've they've formed this to go uh, against all the cybersecurity issues. And just recently, there was a, a comment made from the Brit from the from Britain uh, that they'll use this to help hunt ransomware uh, gangs. We continuously see ransomware coming up as a challenge. And I think over the last several months, we've talked about on this podcast how the governments uh, are are joining forces and taking a more organized approach to attack uh, ransomware. In the United States, we mentioned how uh, the Department of Justice has treated the investigations the same as terrorism. And we're starting to see several countries uh, follow a similar suit. The, the Britain's uh, Intelligence Cybersecurity Agency uh, was already there. It has been there. This is a, a more aggressive approach to cybersecurity. And what we'll see is allied countries working together to both um, defend against nation state sponsored attacks, but then take a more organized approach against these criminal gangs. Uh, that are plaguing us with constant challenges, uh, and you know, honestly, this affects everybody—not just um, not just government, but also retail and everybody in between. So it affects everybody here that we're faced with. So Revel, uh, this was a, a a ransomware gang that we spoke about several months ago. Uh, fairly prolific, they were responsible for the Colonial Pipeline attack, if you recall. Uh, the FBI actually was able to seize 80% of their $4.4 million ransomware. Uh, just as a quick recap, the Colonial Pipeline is uh, the pipeline that uh, does about 60% of gas and oil to the East Coast of the United States, and it was down for several days to a ransomware attack. And the interesting part about this group is while it was Russian uh, tied, it was not tied to the government, it was never ever 
um, considered to be tied to the government. It was just, in fact, in Russia. And with this gang, um, they vanished for a little while. Interestingly enough, uh, intelligence channels imply that the reason they vanished was because of the pressure that the United States government had applied on the Russian government. And the Russian government uh, went out and said, hey, stop that. Stop doing what you're doing. And it's uh, pretty interesting in, in Central Europe and Russia, while these are not nation state sponsored attacks, oftentimes the government turns a blind eye if it doesn't impact their government systems. Uh, Revel was interesting because they've just absolutely vanished. They disappeared from the internet, uh, from the dark web for a little while. And then they resurfaced about a month ago with heavy, heavy um, infrastructure attacks. And then just recently have died down as well. And throughout the intelligence channel, the heavy, heavy scrutinization from the US government and allied governments uh, basically attacking them back or countermeasures forced them to close up shop once again. It's important to note that they closed up shop once and came back. So it's highly likely that they'll kind of change their modus of operandi and they'll come out. One of the things about Revel is they're a very known um, group. They advertise, they do hacking as a service. So a lot of times when these type of events happen in the U.S. government and allies go after these folks, they don't disappear. They just go quiet for a little while and then wait for an opportunity to seize again. Um, it, it, uh, these are, and we've talked about this, these, these gangs are largely untouchable because they live in areas that are non-extradi and sometimes with uncooperative governments. So as long as they stay within those countries, they're relatively protected. Uh, what we can do is attack their finances and basically um, counterattack, do counterattack. The other thing uh, that was interesting when we're talking about this, this report is October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. I don't know if this episode will hit in October, but one of the things in um, Cybersecurity Awareness Month that we're talking about and we're really kind of prolifically saying is, is these attacks will happen. Uh, so assume that you will be attacked with ransomware. If you're listening to this podcast, you will be attacked, whether or not it, it actually gets through or not. Um, you know, the, the, we'll see that. Last year, there was about 51% of the people were attacked. Uh, this year, um, it, it's down a little bit, uh, but it, it, it fluctuates and those numbers are largely inaccurate because we don't know if, if everybody's attacked. So one of the things that we're really pu pushing heavily with cybersecurity awareness is assume that you'll be attacked. Private, public, assume you are and make sure that you have adequate backups to protect yourself. That's the easiest way um, to do that. And if you're in a business environment and not a personal, uh, not just a, a consumer, you probably need to invest in a managed threat response, pro uh, you know, program where you have an understanding of what to do, uh, whether that be cyber insurance, uh, engaging with one of the companies out there, but you have to have kind of a, a more formalized approach. And just speaking of October being Cyber Security Awareness Month, I think um, we talk about it all the time on this podcast. Uh, we're usually a little bit ahead of the curve, probably because we're smaller and we can move quicker. But um, when we talk about cybersecurity awareness, very much like the listeners who are members of the Loss Prevention Research Council, um, education and awareness is the key here. There isn't some magic software. There isn't a magic process that's going to come into play. What's going to consistently help us is us identifying uh, trends and talking about them openly. We often talk about you know, password management, two-factor authentication, uh, not clicking on links, all of those things stay the same. And when you're traveling, 
um, you know, for Tony Reed and Chad, you have to be extra special, um, careful because you're getting onto other people's networks constantly and you are opening yourself up to vulnerabilities that you would not traditionally be aware of. We always talk about that copy, the coffee shop vulnerability of when you're on that network, it's a public network, but when you're traveling internationally, there are a lot of different rules. Luckily, uh, in the the UK, there are strict, strict privacy rules. So uh, most of the challenges you'll have will be actually hacking attempts and they won't be traditional kind of open network issues. So stay safe when you guys are traveling, stay cyber safe. And um, I'll wrap it up with just the, the last kind of tidbit, which is cyber related, but more on the security side is, and this comes up every now and then, I don't generally get into these vulnerabilities because they're so, there are so many, but Hikvision, which is the largest security camera company in the world, who's come uh, under great scrutiny over the last uh, really two years, several years, because of the fact that it's a Chinese uh, made camera and there's potential government ties has had uh, yet another significant vulnerability identified, which allows cameras to be taken over remotely. Uh, Red Packet Security has uh, put out some really uh, specific information, but this is not um, a new new piece, uh, but it is a newer vulnerability. Um, one of the security researcher watchful IP had identified this and put this out. Um, and basically, it's patch. If, if you are using Hikvision cameras, patch them. This bug receives a 9.8 out of a 10 from a risk standpoint. Um, that's how risky this is. This really will allow uh, hackers to I, I get onto your your camera system and potentially into your network. Right now, um, they could actually go in and, and and open that camera so without a username and password and see what it is. And it, it affects a, a large range of products. And one of uh, the other things about Hikvision that makes it challenging is that they're a fairly large OEM manufacturer. So the number of cameras out there are unknown. We know, it, it, we, we certainly know it's in the millions, could be in the hundreds of millions uh, that are affected. But just if you're using Hikvision cameras today, and I know some of the listeners are, because I've talked to them, make sure that you're patched and you're, you're up to date. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, unrelated but related, um, the U.S. government is uh, looking to actually put an outright ban. They're already GSA banned cameras, but um, I think we'll see in the next upcoming weeks the the ban on Hikvision altogether. Uh, it, it it is actually um, going to be made into law potentially that comes up. Um, my personal opinion here is I'm somewhat neutral on this. I think. Uh, we, we, we have a lot of products from China, but there's certainly uh, with this Hikvision, these, these are real vulnerabilities that need to be patched. Um, I think we'll continue to follow it and see if there is an outright ban. A lot of VMS providers, so video management systems already do not support the Hikvision cameras because of some of the, the vulnerabilities that are there. So what we always say, Cybersecurity Awareness Month, this is a, just a, a stark reminder, update and patch, update and patch. If you have your iPhone, you have your Android phone and there's an update available, update it. If you're using Windows, update it. If you have cameras on your system that need to be updated, update them. One of the easiest, quickest, simplest way to keep yourself safe is to keep your software up to date. That gets rid of all of the low hanging fruit and known vulnerabilities and when 
hackers or nefarious actors are attacking networks, they start with the low-hanging fruit and the known vulnerabilities. So if you address those first, you're in a great place. And with that, I will turn it back over to Reed. All right. Well, thanks so much uh, to you both, Tom and Tony, um, for all the great content. We really appreciate it. Um, a lot to think about always, but it's always good to hear the good, the not so good uh, as we take it all in, process it. So stay safe out there, stay in touch and uh, let us know. Keep us posted at operations at lpresearch.org. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.